This is Tell Me What To Read, powered by Booktopia. I'm Nick Wasiliev, and today we are sitting down for a very special episode to commemorate our September Book of the Month. Today we have TikTok royalty as Emily Henry chats with Taylor Jenkins Reid about her brand new book, Carrie Soto is Back. Check the show notes for timestamps for each interview, and if you're enjoying our show, drop us a like on Spotify or a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think. Now, over to Emily Henry's interview with Taylor Jenkins Reid, author of Carrie Soto is Back, which you can order right now from booktopia.com.au as our September book of the month. Hello, I'm Emily Henry, and I'm here with Taylor Jenkins Reid, who in addition to her very impressive um, and very, very, very short bio, I will say, um, <laughs> is one of my favorite writers of all time. And I'm so honored to be, be here with you, Taylor, talking about your new book, Carrie Soto is Back, the fourth and allegedly, as far as I know, final in your quartet of kind of uh, Taylor's mythos of California famous women. And I had the joy of getting to read this book, as I was telling you, within the last like 18 hours and like, don't know if I blinked, definitely had to eat like (laughs) multiple puddings as meals because I just couldn't put it down. And for a book that's ultimately about tennis, I have to tell you that is a true testament to your talent and your ability. And I'm so excited to be here with you talking about this book. Well, thank you. And thank you for, for being here because, um, you know, all the nice things that you said about me, I can say right back to you. I, you know, I just think the world of you and I think you are such an exciting and interesting writer. And so it's, it means a lot to me to have you like my work. That really means a lot. I mean, that's wild. That's I'm, nothing will give me imposter syndrome faster than <laughs> And reading your books. And I really, I was rereading um, Daisy before Carrie Soto and um, reread part of uh, Malibu Rising before Carrie Soto. And it's just phenomenal to see your growth in all of those books where it's like, it really feels like every book you set out to top yourself. And I'm not sure if that's the case, but it feels like it. So I guess we can start, I guess we should do the short little elevator pitch for the three people in the world who don't know who Carrie Soto is and why she is back. And then we can get yeah. into it. Yeah. As as my daughter asked me, who is Carrie Soto and what is she coming back to? Um, really? Was which, that the other title oh, yeah. that you considered? Yeah. Well, yeah, you know what? It's so funny because because it was originally called something else and I was really trying to figure out what it should be called. And, um, and so my daughter was asking me questions because she really wanted to help me. Yeah. And eventually she came up with, what about meet Carrie Soto? She's coming back to playing tennis. <laughs> I was like, honestly, Lila, that's pretty good. <laughs> I honestly feel like that's what every like editor and marketing team and publishing is looking for. They're like, just tell us what the freaking book is about. And you're like, what if it was called a tiny speck of dust dancing in the starlight? And you're like, no, we can't sell no. that. <laughs> no metaphors, please. I need straight facts. Go, Lila. Yeah. Yeah, I know. She's she's a true talent. Um Yeah, Carrie Soto is back as a story about a former number one women's tennis player who comes out of retirement at the age of 37 to try to defend her Grand Slam titles record. And it's the story of that year of her life, every Grand Slam tournament that she plays and whether she can do what she set out to do. And um, 
you know, Carrie Soto is a a fun character to write and I think spend time with because she just uh, won't do what she's supposed to do. She yeah. she she just refuses to um, abide by certain societal expectations. And it was really, really fun to write somebody like that. Yeah, she's amazing. Was she the starting point for this book? Like, like, did you, because she's mentioned in Malibu Rising, as we know, is that the yeah. first time she shows up? Because I didn't pick up any other yes. mentions of her. Okay. I'm so not going to make that, did you... you know. I didn't, I didn't, I, you didn't, I knew I didn't. Basically what happened was I was writing Malibu Rising and I don't know if you have this feeling, but I feel like I can't possibly think of whatever the next book is. Absolutely until not. Until <laughs> this book I'm completely emotionally divorced from. Yeah. And so everyone's always like, well, what would come next? What will come next? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no yeah. idea. And I'm not no going space to know for that. until I've broken up with this book and then I can let other thoughts in. And so I had finished Malibu Rising and I was basically fixing a couple of like details in the book, but like the plot was done. The characters were all done. All was done. I was, it was, it was just like basically copy editing. Yeah. And I was reading Andre Agassi's open because I wanted to get a couple of details about something with Brandon right and I read that book and I thought oh I would love to write a book like this I would love to write like a fake sports memoir about like you've got a champion and can they do it or you know you know and and I was like but I'm not gonna write about Brandon Randall I don't care about that guy and then I was like oh but Carrie Soto and what immediately came to me was how interesting to check in on Carrie Soto when she's not the number one champion anymore when that part is behind her and when she is older and trying to figure out what her future looks like. I I thought if I can check in on her 10 years after we've seen her when she's living in a totally different world and this question of, is she still the best is an urgent, terrifying question for her. I just thought, Oh, to spend a year, watching her try to prove that she isn't what she is yeah oh I just thought that I just thought that was so much fun I it's so interesting to me because when I tell people about your books because I feel like as as writers obviously we're always trying to like figure out what we can steal from people or at least I am I'm like oh yeah what are they doing that I don't know how to do and with your books there's obviously like incredible tension which is really hard to do in contemporary without like huge kind of like over the top stakes but all the stakes in your books are like very real life stakes and then on top of that you love writing characters who are quote unquote unlikable so it's like why is this working why is there so much tension (laughs) that like this this woman who's really quote unquote whatever just assume the quotes from now on um difficult and not that like nice or sweet or whatever and Mm -hmm. she just wants to win a freaking tennis like she wants to win at tennis but it's like it feels so life and death because in real life obviously does feel life and death but that doesn't mean most writers can do that it's like unbelievable to me how you suspend tension but I think the other thing that I think of when I think of a Taylor Jenkins read book or there's a lot but these two big things that I'm like oh if I could bottle her and like drink it like a potion before I wrote it'd be like I want your attention and then you have this amazing 
um, ability to observe what we're fascinated about. And I know it's like your fascinations, but you home in on these things that are like, we're all obsessed with them. I mean, like Daisy Jones and the six, like we're, we all want to know what really happened, like yeah. in, in to the civil wars and to Fleetwood Mac. And like, yes. we, we yes. obsess every time this like storyline comes up in history, we obsess. And with Harry Soto is back. It's like, you know, I have never intentionally watched a single game of tennis, but as I'm reading this, I'm realizing how much of it is just in like the culture, because like, there are all these women and especially women, but also some, some of the men that you write about who are so, um, yeah, like mythological feeling in American culture and beyond. And I just don't know how you do that. Like, and especially now That's you're saying you didn't nice know it was going to be Carrie. You didn't know it was going to be Carrie when yeah. you wrote yeah. Malibu Raising. Yeah. But but I I really appreciate you saying that because I think, um, first of all, you, you've you pointed out two things that I work very hard on. And so it just matters a lot to me that, that you saw those and, and think that I'm good at them makes me feel very good. Oh, you're so um, good. Uh, I here, here's the thing. I I am following my own interest, you know, like when it comes to Daisy Jones, it's like, I want to know who slept with who that's what I want to know. Right. At any (laughs) time, I'm just asking myself who slept with who, if if it's a TV show, if it's a band, (laughs) okay. But behind the scenes, who slept with who is all I'm trying to figure out, you know, but I think, but I think what's exciting to me is, um, you can't just write about it as this happened, then this happened, then this happened. You have to write about it as this is what we think happened. Here's why we Mm. think it happened. Here's the only information we have about it. What could possibly be the truth? And for the first time, you're going to learn what the (sighs) truth is. And for me, it's like, okay, let me go and think of all the questions I have about Hollywood and and 70s music and, and wild parties and supermodels or whatever. Every question that I know will never be answered, you know, uh, how did Brooke Shields really feel when she's in an ad that says nothing comes between me and my Calvins? How did that really feel? What, what, what really happened to her? I'm never going to know, you know, like yeah. I can read her biography, but I'm still not going to know. So I'm going to go make a fake one and try to figure it out. And I think, yeah. um, that's what I love about my job is like, I, want to know the answers. So then I just go set up a fake question and try to explore what the answer could be. It's so, so, so smart. And it's the kind of thing, this is like, I feel like the the mark of a really good idea is when it happens for the first time and you're like, why hasn't somebody else done this already? Yes. And every one of your books, I'm like, oh my God, like it's because it's like, there are things that I Google every single year, things that happened 50 years ago. And every year Mm -hmm. I'll like, think about it. And you know, there's this new DB Cooper documentary right now. And I was like, I doubt there's anything new in this because I Google him once a year. (laughs) And of course there wasn't, but it's like things that are past. So you can never, you can never know. Um, And it's so, so good. But like I said, like, I am not a sports person. I'm not a tennis person specifically. And so much of this book does take place on the court, but for anybody listening who is like me, that shouldn't be intimidating at all because it does have this feeling of like the, the why is the most important thing, the why of everything. Yeah. And yeah, you have just, yeah. I mean, um, I don't play tennis and don't know what I'm talking about. So if, if anyone is like, oh, I don't know anything about tennis. I don't think I should read that book. Like, I don't know anything about tennis. So we're I in this together. I have to disagree I'm... with you. At this point, you clearly like, <laughs> because I learned things about tennis without, tr- and that's the other thing you did really well with this is you didn't try and teach anyone, but you just, ex- 
it just naturally got into my system. I learned a little bit about tennis through osmosis. <laughs> I'm slightly less ignorant. Well, I'll, I'll quiz you later, but, Thank but you. it is funny. I am, I am always pretending. And I think that's, what's fun about our job is, is it is pretending all the time. Yeah. And, and it's funny because people will come up to me and they'll be like, oh yeah, you wrote that 70s rock book. You ever heard of this band, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, if it was not part of my research in 2016, no, I don't know that band. <laughs> you know, like so I amazing. Think people, are, people want to, they're like, oh, you must be a 70s rock expert or you must be, yeah. you know, a film historian or you must be, you must surf. And it's like, guys, um, it's smoke and mirrors. I'm faking it, you know, but, but I love to go learn about something. I love yeah. to take a month of time and explore everything I can about that world and, and find everything I don't know and start to try to talk like them and think like them and, and throw myself into it. And there's a period of time when I'm writing a book and it's so funny because nobody ever knows what I'm working on when I'm working on it. So I right. never get to talk to anyone about it, yeah. but it's like, there was a period of time in 2016 where I knew everything there was to know about 70s rock. I knew everything. Yeah, right. I was so in it, you know, yeah. and, and with tennis, like I was just so in it. And so I'm writing these books from the point of view of someone who didn't know anything and has just learned everything. And it has all of that freshness and excitement yeah. and passion for me. And it's like, it's just so much fun to decide, okay, where am I going to go next? Like, what am I going to come up with and go learn about and throw myself into? I love that. I mean, it really, you do, you do write as an expert. It's clear that the research is there. Like it, it feels, and it never feels like, you know, we're being bogged down with unnecessary information either. It's clearly like a vehicle for the story, but I'm really interested that's, in something. I think, no, no, I, I just think that's, that's also um, a really big compliment because I think you probably have this too, where you do so much research and, and you have so much information that it's like, I got to fit in all this information I know now, you know, and yeah. it, you have to kill your darlings with research too. You, you have right. to, Oh, I found this really good fact and I want to use it. And it's like, it doesn't fit here. And what's funny is, you know, with Evelyn Hugo, um, one of the things that I had done research on was the kind of like beach bunny Mm-hmm. beach blanket bingo which is a yes. phrase I can never say um yeah. you know that that whole scene in Hollywood during you know the the late 50s and early 60s and I had done so much research on it and I was like it's got to fit into Evelyn Hugo she's got to do one of these movies and there was just no room there was just no room wow. by the time she's like down and out she's got to go over to French New Wave and there was, it just couldn't happen and yeah. it's so funny because you just, you hang on to it. You know, you hang on to this thing that fascinates you. And suddenly I'm like, oh, now I'm in Malibu in 1963. And I have all this information about, you know, the Beach Boys and, and, yeah. um, and these movies. So um, knowing when not to use your research is also a big thing. Um, so I appreciate that it, that it feels seamless. I'm, I mean, good, good it is that kind of thing where it's like, you need so much more than you use, but to feel like yeah. you're not shooting yourself in the foot, you have to feel like you understand so much more than you're actually writing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'm really fascinated by something that I read about kind of these last four books of yours. And I don't know if it was something that I read from like your marketing team or if it was on Goodreads or where, but it was something about the way that each of these last four uh, characters 
um, Evelyn, Daisy, Nina, and Carrie, how they relate to kind of the camera or like to celebrities. Yes. Um, yes. And so, so can you kind of take me through that for a second? Yeah, I think that if um, I was just writing about famous women over and over and they weren't different and they weren't searching for different things and they didn't have a different understanding of what it meant to be famous, um, I would be wasting my time. I think it's only interesting if you throw four very different women into the eye of the camera and see how they respond differently. And so, you know, with Evelyn Hugo, what was really fun about that was you're taking this woman who's an outsider. Uh, the world is built to keep her out and she's not gonna accept that. So in order to get what she wants, she's gonna have to use subterfuge. She's gonna have to be smarter than the men she's talking to. She's gonna have to trick them into giving her what she wants. And she becomes powerful. And, and one of her powers is what she looks like. And she yeah. knows how to leverage it and she knows how to exploit it. And the camera helps her do that. The camera becomes her power, but she has to fight for it. And so with Daisy Jones, I thought how interesting if Evelyn Hugo, she's born with a different name. She's born with different hair. Yeah. She's, you know, she has to change so much about herself. She has to sacrifice so much to get in the front door. What about a woman who's born in the center of it all? She's, you know, she lives in the Hollywood Hills right, you know, uh, over the Sunset Strip. And just from the day she's born, her name is Daisy Jones, which is like, okay, you're a rock star, I guess, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah. Um, you know, she's got money and, and access. She has it all. And she's not using the camera for power. She's using the camera because she's lonely and she needs someone to love her. And this is yeah. the only, this is the only way she's ever found it. That's a totally different woman. That's a totally different relationship to fame. And then I, and then I thought, well, those are two women that are using the camera to get what they want. But what if there's a woman who just wants that camera to go, just wants the camera to go away? has had this camera chosen for her by her famous father and has had no choice but to leverage her body in order to take care of her family, but just doesn't want to do it anymore. Where the camera becomes not a tool for her to use, but in fact, her predator. And that felt like a totally different world to explore. And then I thought, I, I'm not done because there's one other type of woman that I want to talk about. And that is a woman who says, put the camera on me or don't put the camera on me. I'm doing this, whether you like yeah. it or not, that indifference to that camera and that unwillingness to engage with it. Nina feels trapped by that camera because she is going to make sure she performs for it when it shows up. Carrie is like, I, you can put that camera right in my face and I'm still going to do exactly what I'm yeah. going to do. I, I'm not here to please you. And, um, you know, in some ways, I think Daisy and Nina are the most understandable reactions to that. Mm -hmm. Right. Evelyn and Carrie become 
more threatening reactions to that because yeah. we don't, we, it makes us very uncomfortable when women are smarter than us. And it makes it, it makes us very uncomfortable when women don't care about our approval because yes. now they have more power than we do. Uh, yeah. And so it was nice to come back to that with Carrie, that sense that, you know, she might make people uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, honestly, when uh, reading this, like you're never heavy handed, which is another huge compliment that I cannot say enough. You, you use so much restraint in this book because it's like, it's a sports book. It's a tennis book. We know about sexism everywhere. And we especially know about it in sports and we see it constantly thrown at Venus and Serena Williams specifically. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you use such a, you use such this, like this gentle, subtle touch. And I think specifically there's sort of this like multimedia aspect to the book, as you know, mm -hmm. I think you remember Taylor, um, <laughs> yes. where there are some transcripts kind of interspersed yeah. and there's, you know, the comment, the sports commentators. And um, as I was reading it, you know, it's like, I noticed the small things you're doing to not only show like the reality of the world that Carrie is just sort of like, like busting through. And she's like, you know, she's the battle axe. She's just kind of pushing her way through to do what she wants to do. And you just kind of see these realities that are like around her. But then also I feel like this, there was something I noticed in this book that then I looked back at your other books and thought, wow, she's really doing this. And I don't know if you're doing this on purpose or not, but you do this thing with Carrie where she's just out there living her freaking life. And I'm saying freaking because I don't know if we're allowed to swear on podcasts. <laughs> I'm an adult. Um, she's living her life. And this, the realities of her life without her even interacting with them are slightly changing the way that people talk mm -hmm. about, not just her, but the other women around her is very slightly changing the way they interact with the sports comment, the female sports commentators. Mm -hmm. It's like, she's yep. out there living how, you know, women will be told like, you're being selfish. Like you're living selfishly yeah. by pursuing this because the only reason you want it is for yourself. Evelyn does mm -hmm. the same thing. Daisy does the same thing. Nina is mm -hmm. a little bit more like all, the every woman, I think. But mm -hmm. this idea that she's being selfish and maybe she is, but it doesn't matter because when she gets what she wants, it makes it so the women who come after her are that much closer yes. to getting what they want. Yes. Yes. Oh, and I think beautiful. what's interesting, I think what's interesting about Carrie and that period of time, which is to say, if you think about the nineties, like what Carrie's doing technically takes place like a little bit after Tanya Harding, that mm -hmm. the Tanya Harding scandal and a little bit before the Monica Lewinsky. Wow. Um, scandal. A big moment and, for women. <laughs> yeah. We were treated real good then. And we yeah. had a lot of patience for women that don't fit the mold. Um, but I think what's interesting is that the nineties is a period of time in which it's gone underground. You know, like in the yeah. 60s, things were more overt. In the 90s, everyone's doing it and pretending they're not doing it. They're they're using a word mm -hmm. that's a dog whistle. By, by the time we get to the 90s, people have perfected how to make things subconscious and subtextual. And that's way, I guess I shouldn't compare them. That's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, we, we don't give that shift enough credit for how damaging it is because yeah. it's really easy if you say something overt for someone to be like hey that was sexist hey that's racist but if you say it 
in this way where it's unclear exactly what you meant, but it definitely yeah. gives a vibe. But if right. someone calls you on it, you, you're like, I didn't say that. It's, yeah. it's a much, you know, it's, it's these, these things evolve and they become smarter and harder to grab onto and carry, you know, this is a woman who they're calling the battle axe. And it's a fundamentally misogynist thing to say. But if you would point at anybody, they'd be like, what? It's a, it's a trial yeah. of endearment. It's a compliment. You know? Yeah. And like, you hate, but you like, hate her. So it's clearly not. Exactly. And, and once within the narrative of the book, once somebody accidentally lets it slip that what they really mean is bitch, everybody doesn't know how to handle it because it is what they meant but they didn't it want is. anybody to say it and and I think that's what's so interesting about you know watching these four women in the 60s 70s 80s 90s it's 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 that particular way that decade had of of twisting the knife um in the way that it treated women it changes over time but the underlying piece is always there which is that you're not doing what I want you to do and your then your job as a woman yeah. is to please yeah I mean there's a really interesting conversation in this book that's kind of going running throughout it about being the woman who everyone wants to just go away <laughs> yeah and yeah that's like such a real thing in our culture that like I we could talk about for hours um but it's just I don't know. I mean, it's weird because now here we are, we're, I, are we 20 years after this book takes place about 30, 30 years? Yes. 30, almost 30. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. It's disturbing um, to me. <laughs> I know. So we're 30 years after this book takes place and that hasn't changed that whole, like we no. want you until we don't want you. And then you'd better shut up and disappear. Yes. And, and also that it always has to be on our terms. You know, like it's what I think is so interesting about sports is that it's a little bit more black and white. Uh, was that movie good? Art is subjective. Who yeah. won that match? Carrie Soto. You can't deny it. If they could deny it, they would have and she would be gone. That's, that's what's so interesting about her is she has to be so undeniable that they can't actually make her go away. Carrie Soto won every won every single Grand Slam at one point in her career. And because of that, she is entitled to a wild card pretty much anytime she wants it. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. You set the terms and she earned them. And so now yeah. you may not like that she's back at the age of 37 and you may say it's undignified <laughs> and imply that she should be at home taking care of children or however you want to do it. You can't stop her because yeah. she is undeniable. And that's what's so fun is, you know, we have a lot of ways of making women that we want to go away, go away. We're, we're very good at that. Yeah. You can't make Carrie Soto go away. And um, I don't know. I find it really delicious. Yeah. I love her. I mean, it's, I love all of your books obviously, as I was saying, but I think, you know, <laughs> Evelyn left such a huge imprint on so many people's hearts because 
in a lot of it, it felt like this the first of this kind of character where it's like she's she's bad she's a villain because she's yeah. she's playing the game she's playing the game and she's yes and, and that's a thing that it's like it's almost like Evelyn and Carrie are they're like who you wish you could be they're like the the yes. woman who's like you know what I understand the rules of the patriarchy and instead of just kind of like trying to to make it through like I feel like in, you know that what we're talking about the relationship to the camera these women have you could just as easily say yeah. the relationship to the patriarchy Evelyn's like yes I'm going to abuse that I'm going to use that yes and Daisy's yes. like just affirm me tell me Love I belong me. here yes. tell me I can be here yeah and Nina's yeah. hiding which we all mm-hmm. take our times doing and Carrie's just like no <laughs> I don't I'm not gonna do I'm it here I'm yeah. not gonna do it and and I think it's just um I think it's fun. I mean, that's, that's part of it the is. thing, right. Is like, is, is I just want to have fun with it. And I want to create characters that you care about and you're invested in. I don't really care if you like them or not. I, to be honest, I'm not really thinking about whether I like them. Like, like, I don't know. Do, do I like Evelyn Hugo? I, I don't know. It seems irrelevant to me. It feels yeah. more like, do I know her? Yes. Yeah. Do I believe her? Yes. Am I invested in what happens next? Yes. Do I find myself rooting for her? Yes. Do I like her? I, I don't know. Like, I, I certainly think if she were here in this room with me, I'd be terrified because she's oh, right. one step ahead of me at all times, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. But, and it's, I feel the same way with Carrie. It's like, I don't know. Do I like her? I don't, <laughs> yeah. It, does it matter? Like, I, I, what I find interesting about her is I believe in her. Yeah. I I want her to get what she wants and I want mm-hmm. her to learn and I want to see what she's going to do next. And that is sort of the beginning and the end of it for me is, yeah. is what am I invested yeah. more than do I like them? Well, and I think with Carrie too, it's like the thing that is the scariest about her, like the reason that you are going to be afraid of her in real life. And the reason that you're going to admire her is that she doesn't care if you like her and that, you know, I think there's something intoxicating about that as a reader, who is also a woman just being like, Oh God, if only you could go through life being like, I ultimately don't care. (laughs) Well, I mean, because also this is the other thing, right? Like if she doesn't care what I think of her, but I care what she thinks of me. This entire conversation is on her terms. Yeah. That's she's, she has power over me. Yeah. Like the person who wins is the person who cares the least. Mm. And ultimately Carrie's identity is wrapped up in something else. It's not tied up in, do you like her? It's tied up in, can she beat you? Mm -hmm. And, and that means I have no power over her. I can't, threaten her I can't tell her that if she does certain things I'm gonna call her a name you know and like that's how (laughs) we control women's behavior you know like if you do that you know it's like I'm totally still controlled by that I really don't want people to think I'm mean and if if you're like oh you did that that'd be that'd be so mean it's like oh, I can't do that, you know? But like, yeah. imagine what's on the other side of that fear of like, go ahead, right. call me mean. <laughs> like, I yeah, don't care. Right. I'm going to still go do it. I'd have so much more power. I'm, I'm trying yeah. to step into that power as a human being. And I think writing Carrie Soto was a big part of that. The same way writing yeah. Evelyn Hugo was a really, was a really big part of being like, you know what? 
I'm not here to figure out how to please you. I'm here to be um, charming as I figure out how to get what I want. <laughs> you yeah. know? It's like oh my that shift. It's like Evelyn is my mentor in that and Carrie is my mentor in, in um, you know, caring less what people yeah. think. Well, that is a perfect segue into what I feel like could be kind of our wrap up question. I like truly, if you hadn't just done a million other press things would probably just totally ignore that we've hit our time limit and try and keep talking to you. Obviously by the book from Booktopia, you're here already. You're listening to this, get Carrie Soto's back. You won't regret it. You will very likely cry at least twice if you're anything like me. Um, and then Taylor. Okay. So let me think, what was I about to ask you? I had a question. Okay. Yes. So this was a question I had for you and you kind of answered it, but maybe you could just give like kind of a wrap up with this. Um, do you feel like when you're writing in general, you are working something out with each book? Yes. I think what's fun is that I don't tend to work out things in my immediate life. I'm much more working out philosophical questions. Right. And it's, it's interesting how, I take on that philosophical question and then I start to find that I already knew the answer and I just typed it out. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it's, I have to write in order to find out what I think. I think yeah. I'm, I'm butchering a quote from, um, I think Flannery O'Connor's or somebody, but um, I, it's when I'm finished with a book, I'm like, Oh, you know what? I've been struggling with the idea of how to let go of people pleasing. And I have now just written two books, one in which someone is a grade A people pleaser and the other where this woman wouldn't even know where to start, how to please people. And I think it's because I'm, I'm on a journey of learning how to stop doing that, you know? So it's never like, um, it's never in the facts of the story. It's always right. in the theme of the story. And it and um and I am telling you, every single one of these books, especially these last four, have changed me. I am a different person having written them. And um and I like that feeling. I like the feeling that um my work is not just something I do, that it's that I can look back on these four books and say, This is what I learned, and this is how I grew as a person. I mean, that is so beautiful. And I mean, I think a lot of your readers feel the same way. And I definitely do like reading this book. I was thinking, wow, I wonder, like, really, I was thinking, I wonder if she's kind of been working out that, that especially like, um, you know, trained feminine urge to please working that out. Yes. And I felt like inspired, I felt inspired and I felt, re- I felt really challenged by Carrie Soto. I felt really like pushed to, to give more of myself to the world instead of just like kind of always augmenting for everyone. So I'm really Oh my God. That makes me so happy. (laughs) I, I am, I am, it's like my life's work to stop just being agreeable and, and just be closer to who you, (laughs) I feel like I actually am inside, you know? Um, and, uh, and so if, if, people can take anything away from this book it's like you know maybe don't be as mean about it as Carrie you don't have to be so sharp tongue she still needs therapy don't get me wrong oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
That is the perfect way to put it. Even by the yeah. time you get to the end of the book, Carrie Soto needs therapy. And and it's very clear she's not going <laughs> to Which go. was the other title, <laughs> the original title that your daughter suggested was Carrie Soto needs therapy. Carrie Soto needs therapy. <laughs> we know what your next oh, book man. is Oh man, I mean, it's so accurate though. You know, <laughs> it really it, she does she does need therapy and I hope she gets it, but she's too stubborn too. to go. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. She's she's made some big changes in the last year. I mean, it's been 30 That's years right. now, so who knows? She's probably so doing maybe great. in those 30 years she did go to therapy. Yeah, I mean I a lot so. has changed. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so, so much for letting me talk to you about this book. And thank you to Booktopia well, thank for you. having us. And yes, thank you, Booktopia. Be sure to get your copy of Carrie Soto is back from Booktopia. Thanks to Taylor Jenkins Reid and Emily Henry. You can find links to all books mentioned in this episode in the description below. And if you enjoyed our show, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or a like on Spotify and let us know what you think. Join us on Friday as our in-house team of book experts sit down to give you a special preview of the upcoming books that you should check out in September 2022. Until then, thanks for listening and never stop reading.